0: Welcome to That's So Dot Dot Dot, a series here at That's So Chronic where we chat about everything and anything in our That's So Chronic world. Today I am joined by Laura Sheridan and we are talking about Adam Kay's book, This Is Going to Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor. I'm so excited that you can be here, Laura, because you are a midwife. Yes, thank Welcome. you for having me. Welcome to That's So Chronic. I am so excited to chat to you because I feel like this is going to be such a valuable insight. Because obviously, the book, This Is Going to Hurt by Adam Kay, he is a junior doctor and he works in obstetrics and gynecology, which obviously a midwife. You frequent those parts of the hospital quite a bit. (laughs) Yes, kind of specialize in them. (laughs) So I thought I would just, before we launch into what we thought about the book, explain the book a bit more. So it was first published in 2017 and it's a Sunday Times number one bestseller. It's won a bunch of awards, has a 4.4 rating on Goodreads. And it's sold over 2.5 million copies worldwide. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Neither. So good. Translated into 37 languages. I love that because I think, yeah, medicine is so universal, right? Yeah, we are definitely. And so the blurb of the book, I'll read it out to you so everyone's on the same page. Welcome to the life of a junior doctor. 97 hour weeks, life and death decisions, a constant tsunami of bodily fluids, and the hospital parking meter earns more than you. Scribbled in secret after endless days, sleepless nights, and missed weekends, Adam Kay's This Is Going to Hurt provides a no holds barred account of his time on the NHS frontline hilarious, horrifying and heartbreaking. This diary is everything you wanted to know and more than a few things you didn't about life on and off the hospital ward. And of course Adam Kay is a former junior doctor and he's also an award-winning comedian. He's sold out multiple shows at Edinburgh Fringe on the West End throughout the UK and he's also In huge demand for corporate and private events. I discovered that he performed at Prince Harry's 30th birthday. So random. (laughs) So random, but I love it. And he is actually going on tour with his show very soon because restrictions in the UK are ending tomorrow. (laughs) What are the odds you think maybe he'll come to New Zealand? Imagine. (laughs) And if you are in the UK and you're listening and you want to check out when his show is, you can go to adamk.co.uk. But, of course, the book, Laura. You are a midwife? Yes. If people haven't picked up from your accent already, you are originally from Ireland. Yes, I'm from Ireland. I've been in New Zealand for 4 months now. Mhm.
1: And have not lost the accent. No.
0: <laughs> so you were working for the NHS. The
1: HSE, that's the Irish version of the NHS. Same okay. thing. Okay. Okay. Same shit, different country.
0: Yeah. You can swear. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Amazing. So you're going to have provide such an insight into reading about the NHS and Adam Kay's book, working in Ireland, and then also here in yes. Christchurch, New Zealand, with our health system at the hospital. Where should we start? I guess the book is like a series of diary entries. Mm-hmm. I think he writes that it's a reflective practice. They're kind of encouraged to do this for learning purposes. Mm-hmm. And even though he is a junior doctor... The most important thing, I think, is that a junior doctor isn't, like, junior. They're still very much a doctor, right? Yeah, they
1: have, like, six or seven years' experience. Well, not experience, but study under their belt.
0: Yeah. And I think the next step up after a junior doctor would be, like, the house officer and then the consultant and all of that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, it
1: would kind of go, like, house officer, senior house officer, registrar, and then consultant, which is kind of how he breaks up his book as well. He, Mm -hmm. like, what the first part, I think, is junior doctor the second part is yep. him as a house officer then a register
0: I don't think he ever made it to consulting. no, no he just he resigned yeah
1: in
0: 2010 but we will get to that very soon physically about the book there are footnotes and I thought maybe we should chat a little bit about that to begin with because I think the footnotes can actually put you off reading a book because maybe it feels a little bit complicated and there are a lot of footnotes but at the beginning of the book he's like A note regarding footnotes. Read the fucking footnotes. They're the best part. (laughs) They really are. When you were reading the book, did you read the footnotes at the exact moment? Yes.
1: You did? Yes. Because even though like the footnotes, a lot of them explain the words at the different terminologies, Mm. which I obviously I know them. Yeah. But they were just so funny that when he used a medical terminology, I'd go flick a few pages to read it and be like, oh my God, so funny. Like his concept of perception of what that word is. Yeah. it was just hilarious. They are a little bit annoying, especially like on a Kindle that you have to like mm. tap forward to get yeah. to, them, and then tap back, and then you like skip pages. But it's so worth it. <laughs> I
0: read them all just at the end of the chapter. I didn't actually read them at the exact moment where the asterisks came in. Yeah, and it was actually fine. Like I don't think I forgot because because it is broken up in quite short diary yeah. entry, so I didn't really forget too much of it so that I could just read them at the end. But yeah, it's really interesting noticing other people's techniques. I think sometimes on e-readers you can actually tap on it and it takes you straight to there, but then you still have to flick back yeah. to the page that you're on. Don't let it put you off reading the book, though. Yeah, don't <laughs> definitely,
1: definitely read it.
0: The footnotes are so funny. The first moment where I was reading and I was, affected I guess was kind of right at the beginning it's quite early on in the book and I was realizing that yeah doctors are just human right Mm -hmm. like they are just human beings and I was listening to an interview with Adam Kay on the This Morning show in the UK and he said you know people don't want to think of doctors as humans because humans make mistakes Mm -hmm. I thought that was so true but yeah there was just so many moments in the book where I was like yeah humans are just uh, doctors are just humans and they don't know everything because how can they there was one moment so I thought let's share some moments throughout the book and there was one moment where It was shocking to me and and we're talking shocking as in he was watching a health assistant on the ward, don't know if you remember this bit, take the pulse of all of the patients and he suddenly realized that the every patient was 60. (laughs) (laughs) And he watched the health assistant and it was because the health assistant was counting the seconds in every minute. On the watch, yes, I remember that. oh no it was just so shocking and then there was there was another moment and it was that a physio this was later on the book but a physio went in to assess a patient and written on the sheet on the bed was that the physio had said oh was too drowsy to complete the assessment and the the patient was actually dead (laughs) (laughs) it's just like oh my god mistakes just do happen another moment of realizing that doctors are just humans is when they're all in is it called the mess the meds the mess yeah and they're talking about these like funny symptoms and they were just laughing about like oh yeah this person thought they had a really like i don't know itchy tongue and as soon as we did this it went away or, so, <laughs> or something like that and they were just all laughing and then one doctor came in and was like yeah one patient feels like they're just extremely hot on one side of their face or something yeah. like that. And, no and then no one laughs.
1: Everyone's like, oh, but that's a symptom of
0: this condition. And it means um, you've got a tumour in your lung yeah. or something. <laughs> like, how did you not know this? Yeah. And I think that really, like, thought about me and all of the brain drama that I've been having and, like, no one really knows what's going on or what the lesion is. And I've been thinking, like, yeah, fuck, doctors don't know everything. Yeah. And we put so much faith in them. But, of course, how, how can a brain know all of these symptoms and all of these things. Yeah. It's the same like working as a midwife.
1: Like we all work as a team. So like when one person thinks, oh, well, look, what do you think of this scenario? Like, do you think I'm missing anything? Because mm. you constantly are thinking that process in your head as well, that you could be missing anything and then say it to somebody else. And they're like, oh, no, that's really obvious to me. And then yeah. we work together and then get your solution. But same, um, there was one part in the book that was so funny that they were saying about... It's funny how doctors only have to recertify every five years. But when you compare it to, like, your car or something, that needs to have a warrant of fitness every year to make sure that it's
0: still functioning as normal and doing what it should do. That's so true. Adam's working as a junior doctor, on obstetrics and gynecology ward where does a midwife fit into all of this
1: so midwives it's kind of not what you see on tv a lot of the time when it's like one born every minute where the midwives are sitting around having cups of tea and laughing (laughs) that is not what we do at all (laughs) I'll take it from like a New Zealand point of view so I work as a core midwife in the hospital Mm -hmm. and so we just take care of women and babies when they're sick they have no reason to be in the hospital other than when something's going wrong okay say that the woman has blood pressure problems or that the baby was born but their blood sugars are low Mm -hmm. or that they need resources at birth so they need that little bit of extra care um, so we look after them on the ward and then whenever something goes wrong in the ward or we find, like, a deviation in what should not be happening, then we'll call the doctor and then get them okay, reviewed. Yeah. So midwives do have to, like, have a very broad knowledge as well of conditions to be able to recognize the abnormal mm-hmm. to know that you need to escalate the care to a doctor Yeah. to get whatever they need.
0: As you are a midwife and you are inside all of this I was from the outside looking in reading his book whereas you're from the inside looking in into how it all works was there a moment in the book where you were like yes that is definitely something that is so realistic and really happens to me that you really resonated with or related to and perhaps other people wouldn't realize that Mm. that that's what actually goes on
1: there was one uh, diary entry where he was talking about reviewing a patient in A&E and he's saying that she came in complaining of a large number of painless spots on her tongue <laughs> <laughs> and he said like diagnosis taste buds <laughs> i was like that is just so funny cuz like there is times where like i'm in work and you're just so busy and there's so many patients in and like these women come in with like randomly at like 2 o'clock in the morning like with a stub on their toe and they're like oh I think there's something wrong I'm like no you just like, you stubbed your toe you don't yeah. need to be here go home or just go to your GP
0: and I guess when you're pregnant I haven't been pregnant so I don't know but I'm assuming that when you're pregnant like you're paranoia and you're just worried yeah. about everything
1: yeah
0: and that anything could be related.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, women think that as well. So they would always come to like the maternity hospital if anything goes wrong. Yeah, it's the same if like if they go to a general hospital with a pain in their toe, the general hospital will send them to the maternity (laughs) hospital because, like, they're just terrified of pregnancy. Yeah, right. (laughs) So anything about pregnancy, just, like, they're like, no, we need to ship you to another hospital and get the specialist there to look after your sore toe. Oh, no. (laughs) But pregnancy is a normal event as well. Like, it's a normal thing in life, despite all of his diary entries and all of the crazy stuff that happens. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just a very small percentage of pregnant women's, like, stories. Yeah. A lot of women don't have all those complications that he talks about. Yes. Which I think is hard to look past that mm. as well when you're reading the book. You just think, oh my gosh, if I ever have a baby,
0: like, yeah, all of this happen. Yeah, because it's pretty freaking graphic and yeah. scary what yeah. he's talking about a lot of the time when I first ever posted about reading this book on Instagram this was before we knew each other well we knew each other but we had never actually probably met yes. um we are a Instagram friendship <laughs> you wrote and you said like oh I really recommend this book if anyone wants a good laugh because it is really funny but maybe not if you're pregnant and when I was researching this one of his publishers at Curtis Brown Publishing she was actually pregnant when she had to keep reading and editing this book, which, oh my God, like the book is perfect contraception. So I can't even imagine what it would be like when you're actually pregnant reading it.
1: Yeah, I think the actual career of a midwife is perfect contraception. Is yeah. Because <laughs> we just see everything go wrong all the time. Yeah,
0: And I think it gets to the point in the book where he mentions that he's probably delivered like 1,200 babies or something by this stage. There's not 1,200 diary entries. So he's definitely writing about the funny things and about the things that have gone wrong or the things that have been really dramatic or intense, I guess, on the ward. So I think it's that thing of, yeah, we remember the horrible things and we don't really remember all of the easy births, Mm -hmm. I guess, on the ward. Another big thing that he mentions in the book is how tired he is and how how many hours he has to work and actually a follower on that so chronic wrote in about the book this is what she said she said hey babes love the podcast loved the book laughed so much but also cried a lot I found it so interesting like we put so much trust and faith in medical professionals that they know everything and there's nothing to worry about but reading from his perspective what an insight And how he managed to survive on such little sleep is crazy, like falling asleep at traffic lights after doing doubles. Wild. Yes,
1: that's a very big reality, unfortunately, in healthcare. Like, I'm actually just off a night shift. I know. Well, (laughs) I've had four hours sleep, but I feel good. But there is a lot of midwives that I work with who would drive home after their night shifts and they don't remember getting home no matter yeah. how long or short their journeys are they'll like they'll try and have a nap before they go home from work or mm-hmm. they'll like try loads of coffees uh, there was one midwife during my night shifts last week who was saying that she pulls in at a certain point at every single drive home and just sleeps and wow. she's probably known as the person who sleeps like like the people know her for doing
0: that yeah um but yeah no that is a scary reality so there's one moment where Adam one of the diary entries it's I love that I'm like Adam like we're best friends like we know him (laughs) but there's one moment on the 25th of December so Christmas 2005 he wrote that he fell asleep in his car in the car park after night shift woke up to his phone ringing because he was late for his shift and he was so disorientated and then he realized that he was at the hospital already because he fell asleep in his car like it's just wild and then because he does have a partner at the beginning of the book and there was one diary entry that he says that he'd seen his partner for two hours that week and he had worked 97 hours oh my gosh and on monday the 6th of december 2004 all junior doctors were asked to sign a document opting out of the european time directive and when I was, like, learning what that is, it's, it was brought in to provide some legal measures to stop employers working their staff to, and he said, to their blurry-eyed deaths by limiting shifts to a mere four, 48 hours per week. And, yeah, all of these doctors were asked to opt out of it because there's no way that they would only do 48 hours a week. What does the roster and the shifts look like for you?
1: It depends on what type of contract you're on. I'm on a 0.8, which okay. means I do 32 hours a week. Okay. But you can opt in for overtime for that as well, mm-hmm. uh, which not a lot of people do, to be honest. When I got to New Zealand first, I was on a 0.9 contract, which was 36 hours. Okay. I lasted two weeks on it <laughs> before yeah. I asked, could I drop down, please?
0: Yeah. So, why is that? It's just it's too hard
1: because yeah. the morning the shifts are so early in the morning they start at six thirty mm-hmm. which is just crazy early yeah and then you don't finish till three p.m. half your day has gone you have yeah. to still do your groceries try to get to the gym mm-hmm. have a social life come
0: to yoga class come with to me. yoga <laughs> class on Tuesdays at six
1: thirty yes love it <laughs> um, just trying to have trying to have that like work life balance mm-hmm. I just found that doing five shifts a week was too hard yeah after two weeks of being here and then plus I was only new to the country and I wanted to enjoy my time here and not overwork myself
0: something that he also writes in the book is that non-medics really struggle to understand rosters like that they don't really understand that giving like eight months notice for an event isn't actually going to make any difference because I'm only assuming you don't have your roster for eight months in advance do you I actually
1: do at the do minute you? Yes. <gasps> I have it's amazing in New Zealand that they do this rolling roster okay that I have designed my roster that it like the shifts suit me and then it just rolls around every six weeks oh, and repeats and repeats
0: amazing it's
1: so good but you can't do that in Ireland like oh, that yeah doesn't exist there so whenever I go home I'm gonna be heart- so heartbroken
0: yeah so how does it work in Ireland how soon would you get your roster Maybe four
1: weeks, five weeks, if
0: you're lucky. Yeah, you really can't plan
1: anything, can you? you really can't. You can do, like,
0: requests and stuff, but they're never guaranteed.
1: Well, and... You're going to get
0: them. In the book, that's what happens, right? He's, like, planning this trip to France or something, and then... They're like, yep, nope, nope, you need to work that middle weekend now. There's literally nothing you can do. I think it's kind of tougher
1: working as a doctor because they're constantly shipped around to different hospitals. Right. Whereas midwives usually stay in the one hospital. They're Mm -hmm. still on the one ward. They have one manager and
0: it's that bit easier. But doctors, I think, definitely have it harder for that sort of thing. I know when you were reading the book, you wrote down some of the moments that stuck out for you. Yeah. Do you want to share one of these moments with us? Yes.
1: The one in particular that probably stood out to a lot of people as well, and maybe yourself, was when he walked into a room one of the day, one of the after a birth, and the woman was eating the blood clots out of a kidney dish (gasps) from her placenta. Do you remember that part? No. How do I? (laughs) How have I forgotten this? So good. He he termed it placentophagio. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it. But yeah. Why was she doing that? Because when after you have a baby, there's this thought process that if you eat the <gasps> placenta, that you'll get your iron levels back to their normal pre-pregnancy state.
0: Is it true? Which, Is it a myth?
1: Uh, I think that's a myth. Okay. <laughs> back in Ireland, like a, very few women would do it. Yeah. And if they were going to do it, they would encapsulate them into like iron tablets okay. or make placenta smoothies. But here in New Zealand, I don't think people eat it as much. It's more of like a Maori tradition that you would bury the placenta. Yes, yeah. The Maori believe that it it returns life to earth. Mm -hmm. That would be more in my books to do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you
0: would notice here in hospital. Yeah. Oh my goodness. People eat their placentas. Would you eat your placenta?
1: Absolutely not. No. Absolutely
0: not. It's just (laughs) like eating
1: raw liver. And it reminds me as well, like when I had a like my dog back home a few years ago had her puppies that she used to like go around yeah. and eat like their feces after they would poo and that's kind of what it reminds me of like really really yeah. gross
0: <laughs> don't do it don't eat your presenter yeah oh my goodness interesting there was another bit that really stood out for me was when a patient was going he he signed off a medical certificate so that she would be off work for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And she tried to bribe him so that he could write it so that she could be off work for a month. And he says, I wonder how much she'd have needed to offer before I said yes. Depressingly, I put it somewhere around 50 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever offered you a
1: bribe at work? I've definitely never been bribed. But, like, we do get a lot of gifts from women, which is oh. so sweet. Like, back home... um after everyone has their baby everyone would always drop a box of chocolates into the midwives oh,
0: they're so sweet before they go home
1: they would bring it like one box to the antenatal ward one to the delivery one to postnatal like yeah. we are very well fed <laughs> so a lot of our doctors will always come around and be like you guys always have nice things here yeah um, so i feel bad for them because they don't get that same like repertoire with women as well no but they get the gifts at the end of it even though
0: they obviously save these women's lives as well. Yeah. They
1: don't get rewarded with the chocolates.
0: And that's the... so true because I think there's only one moment where he talks about it that he got a card from someone yeah. thanking him. And when he went to the supermarket and someone recognized him, she was working behind the cheese counter or something. And he was like, oh, she recognized me. I delivered her baby. He was buying this really expensive cheese. And she was like, oh, I'll put it through his cheddar. Yeah. And then the boss saw it and was like, that's not cheddar. Carol or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) and then he didn't even get the discount. That happened to me one
1: day, in I was in this clothes store back home, Mm -hmm. and it was a woman walking around with a pram, and she seen me, (gasps) and she just like went up straight up to me and was like, "Oh my god, hi!" (gasps) And I didn't recognize her. I'm like, like, "Did I go to school with her? What is this?" I was, I, I was really like taken aback by it, and I just was like, "Hi." And then just walked away I was like, that was weird. And then I was like walking around the shop, like looking at different clothes. And I was like, oh my God, she had a baby. I definitely (laughs) delivered her baby. And I just didn't even give her the time of day. I felt so bad. But I mean,
0: you see so many mums and babies, right?
1: Yeah, it's really hard to recognize. Even like, I could look after a woman before she's had her baby, like an hour before. Mm -hmm. And go and see her an hour afterwards and she looks completely different. Yeah. Like... Completely different. All this, like, swelling has gone down. She's had a shower. She's feeling amazing. It's so funny. Yeah, I would never recognize anyone.
0: (laughs) No. And, of course, in this book, there is a lot of pregnancy and a lot of births and uh, saving women's lives when they're giving birth. But, of course, another big part of his job is taking objects out of orifices (laughs) in the human body. He has had to remove a lot of things... In places where they really should not have seen the light of day. Yeah. One of the standout moments for me was when a woman had put an engagement ring in a kinder surprise, put it up her vagina, and it got stuck. And the plan was, obviously, that the guy was supposed to, like, get it out, and he couldn't, so they had to go to hospital. He helped... Adam K helped retrieve this kinder surprise engagement ring, but it still had to be a surprise for the man. And he gave the man latex gloves and he had to open it. And she proposed. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious me. So funny. Yeah. Were there any funny removing objects stories in the book that stood out for you? Yes. So those stories, I think he has like four or five
1: of diary entries of removing different objects from our yeah. So it's obviously a very common theme. Yeah. But yes, it has happened. Um, I've heard a few stories back in Ireland when I was working there of one patient who came in to a and she had an apple stuck inside but it had been there for a few days and she decided to just leave it because she's too embarrassed to come into the hospital to get it removed so yeah like a four or five day old decayed apple needed (gasps) to be removed imagine the smell of that wow yeah it
0: happens yeah people are weird yeah that is very interesting and I think it like really reminded me when I was reading this book that you know, doctors have really seen it all and getting a smear test or whatever, like, it's fine. They've seen everything. It is totally fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think, though, even, like, midwives, when they're going to get their smear test, they hate getting it done as well. It's like, they're... Yeah. Because they know how horrible they are to get done. So yeah. they don't want to, but... Get your smear test. Definitely yeah, do. Yeah,
0: <laughs> definitely go and get your smear tests. I guess for all of these random stories that he was sharing... I was thinking as I was reading it, like, it feels made up. Like, it doesn't feel like these things actually happen. They're so extreme and so dramatic or so over the top that, and so not in my reality that I just was like, you couldn't, but then you probably couldn't even make these up. Like, they're so ridiculous that they have to be real because what human imagination would actually like come up with some of the things that he was <laughs> writing in the book? And I think the one that really stood out for me was with the hungover medical student. Do you remember this part? Oh my goodness. The medical student was hungover, turned up. They were delivering a baby C-section and the medical student fainted, but didn't just faint, fainted into the open abdomen (laughs) of the patient. Oh my (laughs) God. And there was that beautiful line afterwards where they were like, we should prescribe some antibiotics to this lady. <laughs> <laughs> Prophylactic ones, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, speaking of this moment, in this interview that I was watching on this morning show, Adam Kay actually shares a little side note to this moment, which I'll play for you now. There are some um, extraordinary stories, and and I said, you know, this is there is the dark, and there is the, very much the light. Lots of light. Um, uh, so has anyone recognised themselves from the book?
2: Worryingly, yes. So um, the, the lawyers were very keen I didn't go to prison because of the books. They changed all the names and dates and places. But I did have an email not long ago for, that said as the, as the header, I was in your book. I was like, mm, oh, no. Uh, and I tell a story of a hungover medical
1: student during a caesarean section who was assisting me doing the operation and... It's not a good place to be when you're hung over the sights and the smells and the sounds. And basically, he fainted and face-planted into an open abdomen. You oh, know?
0: my goodness me. And
1: uh, and then I got this email <laughs> that a saying... bad day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He he,
0: he recognised himself
1: from well, that. He said, that was how,
2: me. How often did that happen? I
1: was like, because <laughs> <laughs> if it was only once, then I think that was me. What, um, what, what... That's what I was thinking as well as I was reading the book. He, like, mentions... A lot of doctors' names that he worked with. Yeah. So are they the real names of the doctors he
0: worked with, or are they? I don't know whether the doctors' names have been changed, but yeah, he definitely mentioned that the patients' names have all been changed. Because he like talks badly about
1: one of the consultants that he works with, that they were like really rude to yeah. different doctors and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if that consultant knows, yeah. <laughs> or has
0: to use a fake name. I don't know. And I'm sure they would know that that was them when they read the book. I'm sure, you know, 2.5 million copies have been sold worldwide. I'm pretty sure people that he's worked with would have read the book. In the book, what I think is really highlighted is a lot of the problems that the system faces. Mm -hmm. And there's one moment where I, I guess Adam just wanted to leave his shift on time, like for the first time in his whole entire life, and a locum arrives to take over for night duty or whatever for being the the house officer, I think. And the locum has never even done a cesarean. Yeah, done a cesarean probably ever delivered a baby before. Like, has absolutely no idea. And it ended up that the locum had to leave, and he had to do a double shift to work another twelve hours, and it's just kind of like, how does that even happen? How does the agency that sends these doctors out not even check that I have done a cesarean before? It should be like the first thing that you do. And so it got me thinking about, you know, the system and how there's a lot of flaws and a lot of the end of the book is talking about that. What? are there similarities or differences to working over in Ireland as opposed to working here in New Zealand and then reading about what was happening with the NHS? Is this what he's writing about an, an NHS thing or is it a universal, the system is kind of flawed everywhere?
1: Completely flawed everywhere. Yeah. Um, So bit of background history, like For me to get into New Zealand, like in the middle of COVID, Mm. only arrived here four months ago, obviously I had to have some sort of border exemption to get in. And my visa got approved within five days because New Zealand was so short-staffed midwives. Yeah, And since I got here, it's only become like an obvious reality as well. It's the exact same problem here as back home. There's no staff. No one wants to do this job. I think one of the quotes that he said in the book was the depth of the low is the price you pay for the height of the high right and that really stood out for me as well and actually I borrowed my kindle from my friend and she had highlighted it in the book as well yeah obviously something that stood out to her too yeah which is such a reality um I don't know why we do this job sometimes there are days where you're going to work and all you'd want to do is go home and cry yeah but then you remember how much of a impact you're having on these women and their babies and you realize how much you do love the job and i think that's probably where adam was coming from as well that he loved it despite yeah. all these awful times and the staff shortages and never getting home early and yeah that it's all worth it in the end but obviously adam left his post before finishing to get consultancy yeah so it wasn't quite worth it enough but i suppose that was what i Spoiling in the end of the book, the final chapter mm-hmm. just shows that harsh reality as well of when things go wrong. Yeah. Um,
0: I asked followers over on Instagram at That's So Chronic, if you're not already following us, to share their thoughts about Adam Kay's book, This Is Going to Hurt, and this is what they had to say.
2: So I first read the book a few years ago, and I'm a midwife working in a busy tertiary unit and I think the biggest thing that I took away from the book was not the really funny stories he told um, and he told them excellently and from uh, a really kind of light hearted perspective but also the more heavy side of it when he had that case in theatre that really changed the way he practiced and that really affected him and made him practice from much more play it safe and point of view. And I think that for me was the biggest takeaway because we deal with all these life-threatening illnesses um, and we have all these moments and that fear of the unknown and the unexpected and yeah okay this could turn out absolutely fine but it might also turn out really serious and what we do in our practice can really affect a woman's life so I just really enjoyed that point of view from the book the most Uh, I thought he told it really really well and I thought he really made it easy to see where he was coming from and to really feel what it would be like to work in a unit like the tertiary units we work in and even to work in in the midwifery career um, and the obstetrics career as a profession at all.
0: A friend of mine who is a doctor wrote and said I cried reading this with a sad face emoji. Some of it was a bit close to home but I also laughed a lot. I wrote down this is a- this actually happens this quote is at the beginning of the book it's on page nine and he writes looking back in retrospect of of what's about to happen in the book and what happened throughout his life and he says among the funny and the mundane the countless objects and orifices and the petty bureaucracies I was reminded of the brutal hours and the colossal impact being a junior doctor had on my life Reading back, it felt extreme and unreasonable in terms of what was expected of me, but at the time, i just accepted it as part of the job. There were points where I wouldn't have flinched if an entry read, swam to Iceland today for antenatal clinic, or had to eat a helicopter today. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so true, right? And obviously that's happening a lot in New Zealand, with nurses and midwives striking, wanting better pay and... Uh, better working conditions Mm -hmm. because it's pretty you know excuse my french fucked what you guys have to do
1: and it's the exact same back home I just came back from I think we did four strikes in a row back last February Mm -hmm. and then came here and within two months of being here I was
0: striking again yeah oh my gosh like this is just following me everywhere yeah and it's just showing how universal this system is and how something is is not going right and at the end of the book he is he's just saying i think is it jeremy hunt that might be the minister for health in the uk of like yeah send this book to him and just i, I he just wishes that these people in government that are creating these policies and are making these decisions for the public health system he just hopes that they could come to the hospital and just spend a night like at A&E or on a delivery ward or just something rather than only turning up to the hospital when there's a new ward and it's shiny and new and clean and they're cutting the ribbon to open it, you know, that's not really seeing the realities of what you have to go through. And there's no denying the toll that these jobs, especially being a midwife, has on mental health. And when I first met you, you were talking about your interest and how you really feel called I guess to work in the part where there might have been miscarriages or people might have lost their babies or abortion terminations and how I just think you're amazing for being able to to want to be able to help people and I'm sure that that you probably still do that sort of work now and you see that and that can't be easy for your brain to have to process and I just think it's so incredible and inspiring that you help out and you are really interested and you really want to do this job when you really don't get paid enough (laughs) to cope with that do you no really don't yeah Um, thank
1: you for for that (laughs) Um, yeah no that is something I would love to do Mm -hmm. to branch out into because the reality of it is at the minute if you are caring for a patient who's lost a baby you're also caring for a patient who has a baby all at the all in the one shift yeah you have to constantly shift your mind frame Mm -hmm. go into one room and give them the bereavement care that they deserve yeah and then come out and give the woman next door all the care that she deserves as well for Mm -hmm. having her healthy baby and trying to adapt to motherhood yeah and so it is like it's so difficult trying to jump between the two so I would like to branch into better bereavement services for women that these women have midwives that are caring for them solely during on their shift rather than jumping from one to two so I don't think it's fair on the midwife or on the woman no
0: absolutely not and it was ultimately an unhealthy mother and an unhealthy child that was the last diary entry it was the last time Adam Kay wrote anything down in this reflective practice about his his work in his life as a junior doctor, and that is ultimately the reason why he decided to resign. Because he says in interviews that I've watched afterwards that he just didn't feel like he had the emotional capabilities to be able to to cope with those lows. He he was saying that he thinks that he doesn't have that emotional capabilities,
1: but that he hasn't been given the training. Yep. to do that that he could potentially have coped with it a bit better if the system had provided him with that support service which is really sad as well
0: yeah because i think he was allowed to go home that day and then was just expected to everything to be fine by the yeah, time he come got back home. in tomorrow yeah and let's let's restart yeah on your four hours sleep you know yeah. <laughs> dealing with a probably like a partner that you haven't seen in weeks like how is how are you supposed to cope with all of this and I think that's like the resounding message at the end is that people that work in the healthcare profession are really not in it for the money because really not what (laughs) they have to deal with is not worth how much money they get he Adam Kay talks about not even getting free parking at the hospital like it's really not about the money, is it? No, really not. There's like
1: back home, you did not even get free tea or coffee. Here Whoa. I do, which is very exciting.
0: Wow. <laughs> we're even the bar a bit of, is low. <laughs> we're even allowed a
1: bit of free toast in the
0: mornings <gasps> as well. We don't have to pay for that. Wow. But it's not, I bet it's not fancy toast. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> wow. And I think, and that's what he says, you know, at, on page 303, right at the end of the book, and I'm sure he won't mind me spoiling this in the book because I think it's such an important message. And he says, I realized that every healthcare professional, every single doctor, nurse, midwife, pharmacist, physio, and paramedic needs to shout about the reality of their work. So the next time the health secretary lies that doctors are in it for the money, the public will know just how ridiculous that is which is so true. And when he was doing the book tour after releasing this book in 2017, a lot of people would come up to him or would be going to these events and would be saying like, how can we help? How can we help our friends that are midwives? How can we help our friends that are nurses or doctors? And he says that probably the most important thing that you can do is ask them how their day is and know that they might try and deflect with a funny anecdote of what, went on that day or or yeah not actually share with you like what actually went on or how they're actually feeling but let them know that you're there to listen to them and that they have someone that they can come to when yeah those lows that he talks about and you talked about those lows you know you're there to help them and I think it ends with care for the carer which I think is so important do you agree with what he said
1: Absolutely yes. Mm-hmm. Being able to come home from work some evenings and just talk yeah. about your day is like so important. I used to work and, and live back home. with um, a couple of midwives. We just come, all come home and debrief with each other. And on the other hand, sometimes you just need to not talk about it whatsoever. Yep. come home, shut it all off, and just talk about anything that's non-work related. Mm-hmm. That helps as well.
0: Would you? So would you recommend this book? adam case this
1: is gonna hurt oh my gosh yes i think i said to you as well a few months ago that this is the only book that i have read in over two years yeah and since i said that to you a few months ago it's also the only book that i have reread yeah I, i'm not a big reader yeah but this book is so good that i have to read it
0: twice and he does have a sequel have you read the night shift before christmas yes
1: also oh. very very
0: good we might have to no. talk about that on another episode <laughs> So good, and that one's even more gruesome, right? Like it's things that he didn't he left out because it was
1: too gruesome for his first book. Yeah, so he was like, okay, I'll go back and republish another one because everyone's probably like
0: pounding on the door, being like, "We want more, give us more more. Christmas Day anecdotes." (laughs) What would you rate it out of five stars? I'd give it a five. Same, definitely five out of five. The start of the episode when you said that it got a four point four. I know what. Who are these people? Where's that 0.6 gone? Yeah. It is such an incredible book. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about yourself with the podcast. Maybe we'll hear a little bit more from Laura in some upcoming episodes. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. that was another episode of the that's so series i hope you're enjoying these conversation style episodes as much as i am making them don't forget that on the last tuesday of every month there will be more episodes just like this and if you have any suggestions of books films podcast episodes articles literally anything to consume and chat about head to the show notes to find out how to get in touch which reminds me let's connect over on instagram i'm at that's so chronic i love seeing you all listening to the podcast in different places around the world so make sure you tag me in your story so I can see. If you liked this episode leaving a review on Apple Podcasts really helps the podcast grow and if you haven't already make sure you've subscribed or pressed follow so you never miss an episode.
2: See you next week!